good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, to study His Word together. And today we're going to be looking at a familiar text that we hear often, but I think we pretty much skip over it without thinking about it too much. It's the doxology that is found at the end of Jude's letter. So if you will, would you please turn with me in your Bible to Jude's letter? It's near the end there. And we're going to read together verses 24 and 25. If you're using the Blue Poop Pew Bible in front of you, it's uh, found on page 1027. And this is the doxology that usually comes at the end of the service. So if uh, you hear this, kids, don't be running out at the end. <laughs> Follow along as I read. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I'm sure you've noticed there are various themes that come up again and again in the Bible. For example, the word remember or remembering that we're going to be looking at today is regularly mentioned throughout Scripture. Remembering is an important biblical concept. I'm sure there are many accounts from Scripture that come to your mind about remembering. Here are a few that I thought of. There's Joseph who interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. He asked the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh, hoping to be freed from prison. Of course, the cupbearer forgot. We all remember the fourth commandment, don't we? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There are many instances in the Psalms where David asked God to remember certain things, mainly to forgive him. In Psalm 25, verse 6, we read, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. We would do well to remember these verses, for we've all sinned. A couple more. There's a very familiar account of Peter after Jesus had been arrested. Peter denied knowing Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 75, we read, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Last one, every week when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look at the verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Both verses 24 and 25 say, Do this in remembrance of me. So let me ask you, what sort of things do you remember? I'm sure you remember some things of your childhood. For some of you kids, your childhood is happening right now. For me, I can remember a couple of things about kindergarten. That is far, that's about as far back as I can go. Some days I got to play with the big blocks. I also remember finger painting. I remember walking to school in the winter. Lots of snow. The plows would push big heaps of snow to the sides of the road. And the kids would walk on top of the snowbanks. They seemed so high at the time. 
Let me ask you this. Are there other things that you remember that God was doing in your life? These things you remember may not be from your childhood, but perhaps later in life. But here are a few things, spiritual things, that I remember God doing in my life, some of them quite early in my life. I remember going to Sunday school and church. We went all the time, basically whenever the doors were open. The boys' club was my favorite activity. I never wanted to miss any of those meetings. I remember the teachers and leaders telling me about Jesus and speaking into my life. I remember hearing the gospel and recognizing my sin and my need of a Savior. I remember being baptized when I was about 12, although I don't remember the exact date. I remember when I was 17, being called out of my Sunday school class and being given, and being given a, an assignment. I was now the teacher of a first grade class, about six of them. I learned a lot that year. I remember the pastor of our church was W.S. Whitcomb. He seemed very old to me. I remember that W.S. closed the service each week with the doxology from Jude. Our memories and remembering them are important as we go through life. Where did we come from spiritually? How did we get to where we are? How do the things we remember influence us as we go forward into perhaps uncharted territory? Each week, Redeemer and many other churches close their services by using either a benediction or a doxology. A benediction is a blessing or prayer that asks for God's protection and guidance on the congregation. While a doxology is a hymn or expression of praise or a cry of adoration to God on behalf of the congregation to give Him glory for what He has done. Jude 24 and 25 is a doxology. Many of you remember when Pastor Mike was here, he regularly closed our services with the benediction from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17. That says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Today we're going to take a closer look at Jude's doxology. In the old days, my pastor W.S. quoted these verses using the orthodox version of the day, the King James Version, which said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Well, the benediction from 2 Thessalonians is wonderful. I was pleased when Pastor Caleb began to close our services with the doxology from Jude. For from my childhood, I remember it well. Doxologies have been described as the heart and soul of the Christian life. Verses 24 and 25 of Jude's letter have been described as one of the most splendid doxologies in the entire New Testament. We should hear them as speaking to each one of us today. We need to remember them properly. First, a bit of an introduction to Jude's letter, so we have some context. Jude is writing to believers in the church. It's a relatively short letter. It's only one chapter. 
He opens the greeting with a greeting and explains that he really wanted to write something about something else. He wanted to write uh, an encouragement to them. Jude then gives them a startling warning to beware of false teachers who were infiltrating the church. He calls them to remember some specific things in their defense against these false teachers. He appeals in verse 3 to those he calls the beloved to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He calls them on them to remember the faith they have been taught that has been passed down by the saints of the church to the church. In the first part of the letter, Jude reminds these believers of several familiar accounts from their past to help them remember that God is all-powerful, that He is able, and He is in control of all things. Nothing escapes His hand. When Jude is reminding them by telling them of some specific historical events, what does it mean to remember? Is He just telling them some feel-good stories from the past? some victories that they won. We know it can't be just a recollection of events without a purpose. So just what is that purpose? In his commentary on Jude, Thomas Schreiner writes about the word remember when it is used in Scripture like this. He says, Remembering in in the Scriptures does not involve mere mental recollection, as when we remember a person's name that we had temporarily forgotten. Remembering means we take to heart the words spoken so that they are imprinted upon one's life. Jude is telling these beloved church members to take to heart the memories that they have learned in the past. They are to remember them so that they can purposely use them going forward into the coming days. And so I say to you, beloved, I believe in these days of uncertainty at Redeemer it is appropriate for each one of us to remember the things we have been taught and the faith we know. As we move forward, we can purposely use these things from Jude's doxology in ways and in places that seem unfamiliar to us. The God who is able is in control of all things. He knows our needs and will provide. Jude has given us this doxology, this expression of praise, This cry of adoration to God to remind us of what we should remember when we give praise and glory to God for what he has done. Jude closes his letter to the church by taking it from a letter of warning to a call for worship. It becomes a rallying cry for these listeners and for us around God and his word. Let's read it once again, this time from the ESV. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Verse 24 speaks to us about what God has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Jude tells us to remember our situation before we were saved. Previously, we had no hope. Standing in the presence, we would not stand a chance. We would be completely to blame for our sin. 
fully at fault. Verse 25 speaks to who God was, who He is, and who He will be. Jude tells us to remember who God is, the only worthy Savior. In Christ alone we have this Savior. We have the assurance that this Savior is sufficient and has all the power needed to keep us, and He will be praised forever and ever. Today in our time together we're going to look at each of these verses. I've picked out some things that that I believe through Jude is telling us to remember about what God has done and who God is. And we'll think about some applications that we can use and that can help us in the days going forward. Starting with verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The verse begins with Jude telling his beloved audience who he is addressing this cry of adoration to. It says, now to him. In the first 23 verses of the letter, he has told the church that they need to remember what God has done and that it is he who is able to keep them going forward. Thus he addresses this doxology to God. Jude then tells them three things they should remember about this God and what God can and will do for his beloved. As we are now part of that audience, we read them and remember them, need to remember them as well. The first thing that God is able, is the one who is able. Able to what? To keep them from stumbling. This isn't just some old run-of-the-mill God that people tend to worship. This is the God who is able. How do you know this God is able? Has he ever done anything in the past to prove his ability? Jude has already reminded the believers of several examples of what they would be, from what they would be familiar with. And in Scripture, countless more examples of our God showing that he is able. How about this example from Gary's sermon last week? And then two other random examples that you are familiar with that show that God is able. In Gary's sermon last week, he reminded us of the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. Baal's prophets cried to their God and there was only silence. Elijah called on the one true God who is able and there was fire, a lot of fire. The altar and everything around it was completely consumed. In Daniel 3, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego refused to bow to the king's statue when they were told they would be cast into the fiery furnace if they didn't bow. They said, if this is so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And that's what happened. The God who was able saved them from the fiery furnace. Jesus spoke to large crowds many times. In Matthew 14, it tells us that Jesus had compassion on them and healed the sick. When the people were hungry, there was only five loaves and two fish, not nearly enough food. Jesus prayed to the God who was able, and 5,000 plus people were well fed with 12 baskets left over. Our God is able. Jude told the church in his day and tells our church today to remember that our God is able. We need not fear the unknown, but fully place our trust in Him. 
He has shown he is able in the past and he is fully capable of doing it again in the future. What do we need to trust God for today? Is there something unknown in your future? Perhaps your health or your finances or your employment? Perhaps a new church? Are, you, are we trusting in our bank accounts? Perhaps we're trusting in internet searches. This verse from Jude tells us to remember we need to trust the God who is able. Do you trust God to provide for all your needs? Verse 24 tells us our God is able. Well, we've established that he is able. Well, what is Jude specifically pointing out that he is able to do? He said he is able to keep you from stumbling. The King James Version refers to this as keeping you from falling. References in the Psalms will likely come to your mind when you think of being kept from stumbling or keeping our feet from slipping. There are many of them. Psalm 56 verse 13 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before the God, before God in the light of life. Psalm 116 verse 8 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. In the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, we find reference to the God who is able to keep us. There he says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That word guard used in in Thessalonians could be translated as keeping watch over. It's the same word, keep or guard, that is used in Jude 24. The idea of protecting. This God will watch over and protect his people. If you are in Christ, if this God is your God, then he will watch over and protect you. In Jude 21, Jude admonishes the believers to keep yourselves in the love of God as a way for them to keep from apostasy and from the message of the false teachers. Again, we see that word keep. While this word keep in verse 21 is different than the word used for keep in verse 24, it is the same concept. God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling. He is able to keep sincere believers from coming to, to apostasy. This is called the doctrine of eternal security. It is the biblical truth that tells us once you are saved, you are always saved. Once we've received eternal life, we can't lose it. Salvation is God's work. And if God has saved us, no one can take that away. What an amazing and beautiful truth this is. Jude tells us to remember that the God who is able is able to keep us from stumbling. As we navigate uncertain waters going forward, we can have confidence because it is the God who is able who will keep us from stumbling. Now, keeping us from stumbling doesn't mean we just sit back and wait and stop pursuing after Jesus. It doesn't mean we tell God to do everything for us. The Lord Jesus in Mark 8, 34 tells us to take up our cross and follow him. He also tells us in Luke 12 about looking at the birds and to consider the lilies and how the Father looks after them. He then adds in verse 31, to seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do we trust the God who is able to keep us from stumbling while we are pursuing his kingdom? 
The second truth we need to remember from verse 24 is this God is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches that each and every person will stand before God one day and give an account for our offense against God. God created each and every one of us. He demands our worship and we are accountable to Him. There's no escape for the unrepentant. When you stand before your Creator, what do you plan to say so that He will count you righteous and let you into His kingdom? Jesus says you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Well, will you say I did my best? I did many good things. I had plenty of good, I had really good church attendance. I was better than most other people. I never did anything really that bad. Well, there is a word that describes this type of answer. It's called self-righteous. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. As a result of our sin, we earn death. The death is separation for eternity from God. Being self-righteous clearly isn't satisfactory. It's not being righteous in our own eyes, but being righteous in God's eyes. Or will you be able to say, God, please don't look at me for any kind of righteousness. Look only at your son, the Lord Jesus. I need his righteousness. Count me blameless. Count me righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Jesus, Jude's letter tells us those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus will be presented blameless. Because of Christ's sacrificial death, believers will stand faultless before the presence of his glory. And the second part of that verse speaks of just that, the presence of his glory, God's glory. What comes to your mind when you hear the words presence of God's glory? An account that immediately came to my mind was Moses asking to see God's glory, asking God to show him his glory. In verse 18 of Exodus 33, Moses said to God, I pray you, show me your glory. And what was God's response? Verse 20 says, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. But reading further on, we do see that God did allow Moses to see him on the mountain by having him stand behind a rock and covering him with his hand as he passed by. When God took away his hand, Moses only could see his back, but not his face. Isn't that amazing? Jude tells us we'll stand before the presence of the glory of God. On that last day, we won't have to stand behind a rock. Jude tells the church then and the church today to remember we will see him face to face. We will be presented blameless before the presence of his glory. We will see in him all his glory. Can you imagine what a sight that will be? Think about it for a moment. Feeling the immensity of his glory, his presence. How will you respond? Revelation 4.10 gives us this description. There we will read about the creatures surrounding the throne of the living God. It says, They fall down before him 
who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. We don't always take enough time to remember heaven. We should do it more often. We need to remember these words from Jude that one day we will see God in all his glory. The third truth to remember from verse 24 is God is able to present us blameless with great joy. How many times do we only do certain things because we have to do them? Or what do the kids tend to say when, they don't, when they're doing something that they don't really want to do? They say, I'm so bored. Verse tells us to remember when we stand before God, this won't be one of those ho-hum moments. When we stand before God and we're able to say, count me righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me, it will be anything but boring. We are told there will be joy. And not just a little bit of joy, but great joy. As I said before, the King James Version says, exceeding joy. Have you read Zephaniah 3 lately? Verse 17 talks about the joy that will be experienced in heaven. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now I've always understood that in heaven we'll be singing praises to God. But in this verse, it tells us not only we will be singing praises to God, but our Heavenly Father will be rejoicing in song that we are there. His children united to Him through His Son. The Father will rejoice over you in song because He loves you. Perhaps you haven't been reading Zephaniah lately. But I'm sure you'll remember how well that well-known verse from Hebrews 12, verse 2, which says, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. We have put our faith and trust of him will be welcomed by the same God with great joy. Verse 24 of Jude tells us to remember, the God who is able will present you with great joy. Do you long for that joy? Have you asked or will you be asking the Lord to give you that joy today? I've often heard it said that people who have had to prepare sermons or Bible studies get the most out of the effort that they've taken in the preparation. Well, in preparing this sermon, I must say that I have had great opportunity to think deeply about many of these things. I believe the great joy, the exceeding joy that we all will experience standing in his presence will be more, so much more than we can comprehend this side of heaven. Jude 24 has spoken to what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. We need to remember God is able. God will keep us from stumbling. God will present us blameless before the presence of his glory. And God will do this with great joy. Moving on to the second verse of Jude's Dexology in verse 25, we read, To the only God, our Savior, 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. As I mentioned earlier in verse 25, Jude speaks to who God was, who He is, and who He will be. First of all, verse 25 amplifies that it is God who is being addressed. And not just God, but the one who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude, in this context of telling them to battle false teachers, tells them to remember that Jesus Christ is God and is our Savior. Jesus is the one is one with the Father, the divine Son of God who took on human flesh, came to this earth and died for our sin in our place. It is through Him that we have this relationship with God the Father and how we are saved. Through Him believers are made righteous. It has been said that through Jesus we have the ultimate safeguard against false teaching and sin. Jude tells us to remember that God is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude wraps up the verse in the letter by celebrating the God and Savior who he is addressing by ascribing four qualities to him. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. The first quality is glory. This refers to God's reputation. It signifies the honor and beauty of his saving work. It is all accomplished by him and through him, and therefore he deserves to receive all the praise and glory. In Psalm 19, we read about our God's creation. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We should and must ascribe glory to this, our great God. How are you doing with this? How are you doing at worshiping God these days? Worshiping isn't just about singing some great songs on Sunday morning, although we should do that. But is your life characterized by worship? In his book, The Surprising Offense of God's Love, Jonathan Lehman says Christians should go into the world seeking God's glory wherever they can find it, affectionately affirming it and identifying themselves with it. As God does all the saving, protecting, and preserving, it is our duty as Christians to seek out and give all glory to God, to worship Him in all His glory. If you haven't been in a habit of doing this, why not start today? The second quality is majesty. This refers to God's greatness and His exalted position. There's none other like him. In Psalm 150, verse 2, we read, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Our God is above all things. He is greater than anyone or anything else. He alone is worthy of, our, of his exalted position and of our worship. When we think of God's majesty, it should humble us completely. Does it create a, a posture of humility in your life? 
Scripture tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. We need to do that. We must remember our place. He is our king. How do you approach this king? Do you approach him in pride? As if he owes you anything? Or do you approach our God and Savior in true humility, understanding his love for you? What is your response to this love? Have you humbly bowed before his majesty? Or are there parts of your life that you're holding back in pride? The third quality ascribed to our God and Savior is dominion. He tells us that God is sovereign. His kingdom has no boundaries. He has a right to rule all things. In 1 Timothy 6.15, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul writes, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is in control of the dominion of your life? Is God sovereign over all areas or just parts of it? The Lord doesn't want just pieces. Our God and Savior has a right to our whole life and we must ascribe it to him. The question you might ask yourself, how do you respond to life situations? Often our emotions can give give away whether we have properly ascribed sovereignty to God. This also may be a pride question. Is God sovereign in all areas of your life? The final quality given is authority. In John 12, we read Jesus' own words. He says he came to save the world, not judge it. But then he goes on to say there will be a judge on that last day. Jesus then said he had authority to say these things from the Father who sent him. Our great God is in control of all things. Everything that happens is a result of his divine direction. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Beloved, we believe Jesus has the authority to birth this church and also at this time to bring it to a close. Whatever we do, wherever we go, our responsibility to continue what it says to do in Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Then verse 20 says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We must remember to pursue what Jesus has called us to do because he has the authority. Jude tells us to remember to ascribe all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority to God our Savior, who is Jesus Christ. Jude finishes up by reminding us that these qualities have always belonged to God for all time, past, present, and future. In the past, before the beginning of creation. In the present, from creation through to this very day as we we await Christ's return. And in the future, for all eternity. Jude closes by saying, Amen, meaning, let it be so. Jude has called us to remember God our Savior today. Do you remember? Jude tells us that what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Do you remember? 
Jude also speaks to who God was, who he is, and who he will be. Do you remember? A final question. Do you know the Savior? Have you responded in faith and repentance to his call? This is a message for each of us, from the youngest to the oldest. Scripture tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and every living thing in them, including the first humans, Adam and Eve. They walked and talked with God in the garden, enjoying direct fellowship with God. But they sinned against God, and because of that sin, they and all people from then on have been separated from God. The Bible tells us the penalty for our sin is death, and there is no escape. Then we have those two wonderful words, but God. In his mercy and compassion, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty of our sin. He paid the price we could not pay. This God, who is the only God, is our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. He calls to each one of us for a response. If you've not done so already, will you respond in repentance and faith today? You too have this, can have this blessed assurance of salvation and then one glorious day experience the joy of heaven in his presence. We will all be able to directly say to God our Father, unto you be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.